Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, December 21st, we are studying Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. The Lord announces his sign to the house of David. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks. Good to be with you. Pastor Preuss, we're in Isaiah 7 today, which is the appointed Old Testament text for one of the three-year series in Advent 4. It's also the appointed Old Testament text for Christmas Eve. Eve. And so we're kind of getting to a culmination here on this series, Advent with the Prophets. Now we're going to be doing Christmas with the Prophets. I think much of what we will hear today is familiar, particularly concerning the Emmanuel promise. But as we jump into Isaiah yet again on this series, help us with a little bit of context. Where are we landing in the book of Isaiah? What do we know about his ministry? Anything that's going to help us as we start talking about Isaiah 7 today? Sure. So first, just Isaiah in general, uh, he, according to the very beginning of his book, uh, he has a prophecy that was a vision concerning uh, Judah in particular and Jerusalem. And he was one who saw these visions during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And so we're going to consider time during Ahaz. And Isaiah, just in general, is he, he's going to preach a lot of gospel, actually, um, but it's going to come off as a, a, a bad thing for a lot of those in Judah because they end up rejecting the gospel that he proclaims. He also proclaims a lot of judgment, too, because of their rejection. And so you'll hear, hear both of those. It's very much a law and gospel prophecy. Um, and so... Yeah, the context right now that we're going to get into is going to require a little bit of background on on King Ahaz. So I don't know if you want me to go into that right now or if you want to talk a little bit more about Isaiah. Let's let's go into the background on King Ahaz. So we're going to read, I think, a little bit more than verses 10 through 17 here because there's some the stuff that comes before it, verses one through nine of this text, do give some background, but bring us up to speed that gets us up to the beginning of Isaiah chapter seven. What do we know about King Ahaz from elsewhere in the scriptures that will help us with what we're going to deal with in Isaiah today? Sure, yeah, because it's really not a, not very clear without some context here. So uh, we're going to begin and we're going to hear about how the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, is speaking with King Ahaz. And King Ahaz, uh, as was said before, he was king in Judah. Uh, He came right after Jotham. In fact, they actually ruled for a little while together. There's a co-regency. But near the end of Jotham's reign, uh, the two northern kings, uh, Rezin of Syria and Pekah of, of Israel, or Ephraim, they began this campaign against Judah, 
and it continued into to Ahaz's reign. And so uh, Ahaz had to deal with these two northern kings uh, who at one point killed many, many soldiers, well over 100,000 of them, and took many into to captivity too. And so Ahaz had a great fear for these two kingdoms, a lot of dread toward them. Uh, but Ahaz himself was a terrible man. He was an evil, unfaithful king uh, among the very worst of the kings uh, in Judah. The things that he did, he, he made idols for worshiping the Baals. Uh, he sacrificed and burned incense, we hear in Second Chronicles 28, under every spreading tree. He offered his son as a sacrifice uh, he, you know, in, in the way that the heathen nations would do it. Uh, he replicated an altar that he saw in Damascus, and uh, he erected that in the temple. And then he later closed the temple and set up altars, as we hear in Second Chronicles 28 again, uh, at every street corner in Jerusalem. Uh, so in short, he was among the worst and the most godless of Judah's kings. Godless in the sense that he didn't believe in the Lord, uh, but he certainly had all these false gods that he went toward. So... These two kings of the northern kingdoms were terrifying Ahaz, and so his solution was not to go to the Lord, but to send messengers to the king of Assyria, uh, Tiglath-Pileser, for help, even giving silver and gold from the temple, treasures from the palace, to convince him to come to the aid of Judah. Uh, But we hear then here at the beginning of Isaiah 7, that the Lord sends Isaiah, his prophet, to Ahaz to speak for him, to tell Ahaz not to be afraid of these two northern kings, Rezin and, and Pekah, because they're going to be two smoldering stubs of firewood, as we're going to hear. Hmm. And so he also, I don't know if we want to stop there and read uh, those first nine nine verses. Yeah, so let's let's read. This is the first part of Isaiah seven verses one through nine, which again brings us to where where we are. Ahaz is concerned about the threat of these two kings to the north. His solution is going to be, let's try a stronger king, Assyria. And now the Lord's going to speak to him. That's the context. So Isaiah seven verses one through nine. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, with Ephraim then the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, 
and within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. All right, that's Isaiah 7, verses 1 through 9, the text that leads up to what we get in our text for today, the text for Christmas Eve. So Ahaz has these two kings to the north of him who are a threat. They're about to attack. He's thinking, I need to look to Assyria for help. And Assyria is really the world's superpower of the day. From a foreign policy perspective, secular, secularly speaking, this seems like a good move. But Isaiah has come to Ahaz with this promise, this wonderful promise from the Lord saying, don't look to Assyria. The Lord will save you. Is that, is that about right, Pastor Price? Yeah, that's right. And he he gives him a very clear prophecy that these they'll be two smoldering, you know, stumps of firewood. I mean, these two kings are not to be feared. And here they are shaking, right, like trees in the wind. And uh, he even says Israel will disappear as a nation within 65 years. So he's he, this is an invitation for Ahaz to believe the Lord's promise to be firm in faith. But Ahaz, he, he gives no response. So he's not, he's not acting like Hezekiah who comes after him, who prayed to the Lord when faced with the threat from Sennacherib, uh, from Assyria. Ahab instead responds with a callous heart, which is, you know, I, I didn't really mention that at the beginning, talking about Isaiah. Isaiah, really, his mission is to preach some, some judgment, but also to preach some beautiful gospel promises that are then rejected. And that's why it's such a sad thing that just keep on rejecting the Lord's wonderful promises and his his benevolence in the midst of their own rebellion. And so Ahab, instead of acting like Hezekiah did, he he responded with a, this callous heart and he looked to Assyria for help instead of the Lord. And he's like you said, I mean, he politically speaking, it looks like a good move, but he's got the prophet come in before him speaking for the Lord, and he kind of laughs off the prophet or maybe not even laughing off, maybe just completely ignoring the words that he's saying at this point. So verses one through nine would be the first time Isaiah comes to speak to Ahaz. He gives this promise. There's no response. And you don't really get this in Isaiah in the narrative. I mean, we're going to keep reading here with verse 10 in a second, but sort of in the meantime, Ahaz really has already made up his mind. He knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to make this alliance with Assyria in order to face this threat from the two nations that are threatening him. And yet the Lord's going to speak to him again the second time. And that's where we're picking up today. So Isaiah 7 verses 10 through 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be Deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. 
the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. That is the text for today, Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 17. Now, Pastor Preuss, the text we've got for today starts with, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Now, surely the Lord knows that Ahaz has rejected this promise, and yet he comes to speak to him again. This is a a wonderful bit of grace here from the Lord. Oh, it sure is. And, you know, God's patience is is really an amazing thing. He's magnanimous in offering a sign to Ahaz. And the fact that the Lord continued to speak to the likes of Ahaz, this this wicked, rebellious uh, king who, who will not listen to his prophet, and yet he shows... Uh, the Lord's mercy and grace uh, here, this is uh, going back to him, uh, shows the Lord's mercy and grace even in the face of persistent rebelliousness. So it is a, a, a very much a gracious uh, thing for the Lord to be doing, which should be obvious to us, but it's kind of accented in how bad Ahaz really is. You just don't do this. Uh, Ahaz is acting like an enemy, uh, just rejecting the Lord's counsel. So uh, the Lord does here give an imperative, right? He, he wants him to ask for this sign, uh, but it is a, a very gracious one that he, would, that he would even consider Ahaz having anything to say to him. Uh, and had Ahaz asked for a sign, uh, we should certainly believe that the Lord would have given it to him just as he's faithful to all of his other promises. And uh, there's a couple of things in this that are also telling of how gracious God is. And that is, I mean, it really is an amazing thing to think that he is called the Lord your God. Hmm. So he's still identifying as the God of Ahaz, even while Ahaz is, is not at all acting as if the Lord is his God. So there's, there's that kind of hidden or, or maybe overlooked aspect of grace there in that, that verse. Uh, also, you know, when you think about the Lord your God, something that should kind of ring in your ears is from Exodus chapter 20 when you have the giving of the Ten Commandments, where he calls himself the Lord your God, right, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So he's reminding him of who he is and what he has done before, too, that he's the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt and led the, the Israelites through the, the wilderness and and into the promised land. And so Ahaz should have some his ears perked by what's being said here uh, to God's grace and to God's mercy and to his is uh, providing for his people and defending them throughout the ages. Hmm. So, and another thing too is that there's quite a bit of flexibility with this request for a sign, right? He, he the Lord uh, says that he can ask for anything in, in in Sheol or or some some people just would say that's just the earth or under the earth, um, and then in the sky above, right? And so, you really have this contrast here that the Lord is so unbelievably gracious and patient. Uh, and magnanimous, and Ahaz is so rebellious, and it, it this just serves to magnify both the Lord's uh, abundant uh, magnanimity and Ahaz's rebelliousness. Pointing out the, the use of the terms, the Lord your God, really is a fantastic thing. The ESV note mentions there that the Hebrew for you in verse 11, your God, that's actually singular there. So it is the Lord Ahaz's 
God, which is just a, I mean, that's a, again, a fantastic promise. And then the fact that that connects to the Exodus, think of all the signs that the Lord did in the Exodus. Basically anything is on the table for Ahaz to ask here. As you said, the Lord's graciousness is, is on full display and it's going to be contrasted with Ahaz's rebelliousness. But this one requires, I think, a bit of an explanation because Ahaz says in response to this, ask for a sign, he says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test, which sounds, I think, to many of our ears today, that sounds really pious because we know that the Lord has said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. So it sounds pious, but it's really not. How is Ahaz being rebellious with this response, Pastor Preuss? Yeah, it, it, he he most certainly is. It's a it's a direct response, right? He he's not really skirting around it. He's saying something very definitive, but it is defiant and it is disingenuous. Uh, so requesting the sign would have been a fruit of faith in this case, in the Lord's power and His faithfulness to stand by His prophet Isaiah, uh, and instead of standing by Isaiah with the Lord and saying, "Yes, this is the Lord's prophet. I'm going to listen to what he's saying." Uh, and obeying God by asking for a sign. Instead, he, he's almost contradicting the prophet who stands before him, right? Mm-hmm. And he's saying that he will not ask and will not tempt the Lord, but but the reason this is so hypocritical uh, and disingenuous is that if, if tempting the Lord was really such a forbidden thing in Ahaz's mind, then why would he not have listened before to Isaiah Right, who's the Lord's prophet. That's why it was so important for us to read those first nine verses in Isaiah 7, is to get the context here, because our ours starts with, again, right? So it's, the, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. And so had Ahaz really had this pious, humble mind, and just was so concerned about tempting the Lord, and just couldn't couldn't possibly do that as if he were like Jesus in the wilderness, kind of a thing, right? Um, no, he he was he was doing this in such a way as to try to make the prophet seem as if he was asking something that the Lord would, wouldn't actually want. So, what was really going on is that he knew that if he requested a sign and the Lord gave it, uh, that would mean that he should trust in the Lord instead of Assyria for his uh, salvation here. Mm. And that was something he was not willing to do. Mm. So what looks like piety is actually more defiance and more evidence that he is just going to continue on his rebellious ways. It's, it's couched as it is in pious language, but that just makes it even more of a despicable hypocrisy. Uh, and it's, again, it's also an implication against Isaiah, right? Isaiah is there as the mouthpiece of the, the Lord himself. He's speaking the Lord's offer to ask for a sign. And here, you know, we talked about the note about how the Lord identifies uh, as your God to Ahaz, where here Ahaz does not call the Lord my God. Right, he, he even though Deuteronomy six would have told him to do so, instead he he has this uh, clear uh, way of trying to get around what the prophet's saying, uh, as if it's not really from the Lord, and he's he's just too pious, too good to possibly tempt the Lord by asking for a sign. But that's what the Lord wants, so he should be doing it. It's one of those moments where. I, you know, the it's like Ahaz is trying to play the word of God 
against the word of God. As you said, he's got Isaiah standing in front of him, and Isaiah is there speaking the word of God, and Ahaz thinks he's going to be clever, he thinks he's going to be pious by using a different word of God against that word of God as if they're they're different somehow. And I guess, I mean, the reason I point this out is because I, I think this is a really common temptation that any of us would fall into where we would try to use the word of God in a pious sounding way in order to get away with sin, where we would we would couch our sin in pious sounding language. And, and you could, I mean, tell me if you've got any thoughts on this. One thing that comes to my mind is the way that sometimes you'll hear the word love used in our world. We'll use the, the word love however we define it, and then we'll try to use God's command to, say, love our neighbor to back up our chosen form of love when our chosen form of love really isn't what God commanded in the first place. I don't know. What do you think, Pastor Preuss? Yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely resonate with that. What people will do is they'll take the broad, which is love your neighbor as yourself, and then they'll fill it in with concrete things that they themselves are doing that are contrary to the way God describes love in the second table of the law, right? And so you'll see that in all sorts of ways. I mean, popularly, love is love, you'll hear from the LGBTQ community. Uh, Well, you know, what does that mean? It's so broad, and they try to use God's word, you know, God is love, and they they just make it really shallow rather than saying, yeah, God is love, which means, you know, he sent his son for the to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, or yes, God is love, and so love is summed up in the in the Ten Commandments, right, and and so on and so forth. But you know, there's something even worse going on here. I mean, I can't help but think that Ahaz is a little devil figure here, mm. in that the temptation of Jesus. If you look at that in like Matthew four, for instance, he has this temptation that the Lord. You know, he's tempting the Lord, uh, Jesus, the devil is, you know, if you are the Son of Man. And Jesus responds to him that, you know, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And Ahaz is actually using that verse that our Lord overcame the devil with to tempt God himself, accusing God of tempting him. Because, I mean, think about it. Who's speaking for the Lord, it's it's Isaiah, and oftentimes we who speak for the Lord, whether it be a pastor or just, uh, you know, any Christian, we are often accused of, of not speaking the Word of God, but our own opinion. And that seems to be the way that Ahaz is presenting it to, to Isaiah, as if Isaiah is not actually the mouthpiece, the living voice of God himself, of the Lord. And I think that's really what I, I, that's what I wanted to draw out in that, is that this is some audacious stuff for him to be pulling on Isaiah, uh, if Isaiah really is, which he is, but for, for Ahaz, if, if Isaiah really is this, this prophet, he, he just doesn't believe it, uh, or he just doesn't care. So Ahaz, then, if I, I'm following you there, and I think this is a very good insight, Ahaz is taking on, I mean, he's almost taking on the role, or he is taking on the role of Satan in the wilderness using, well, and again, I mean, correct me if this is wrong, but using this word of God, which Jesus used in in completely the backwards way. I I was also, as, as you were saying that, I was reminded of the way the devil comes again, and I think it's in the next one, at least as Matthew records it, and the devil tries to quote from scripture himself 
to tempt Jesus. Exactly. And so, I mean, Ahaz does that here, right? That's right. And there are a lot of, you know, parallels and similarities here that we kind of pick up on, but that's exactly right. The devil likes using Scripture. He likes using Scripture, and then he likes taking it out of context and, and, and twisting it in order for you to believe the exact opposite of what the text actually says. And so, yeah, tempt the Lord by jumping off the, the, the temple, right? Or, or just tempt the Lord by doing whatever sinful thing you want to go and do. Um, and, and that's the way that the devil wants it to be in our lives and what he tried to get our Lord Jesus to do by misquoting uh, Psalm with a 91. Um, and so he, he's got a, a very similar thing going on here. He's twisting Scripture. And we, you bring that out, you know, with love. I think that that's just the way it is. Very few of us are going to be convinced by somebody calling us and saying, hey, do you want to go practice witchcraft in, in, in the woods with me and get a cauldron and put some rabbit's feet in it and whatever? You know, that, that's not the way that the devil gets us uh, who actually believe that God's Word is important. Um, and so, two people who know that you believe God's Word is important and that you should listen to it, they'll try to use God's Word against you. you know, doesn't God's Word say this? I mean, just listen to any atheist debate, and they'll try to quote some portion of Scripture at you and and say, well, your God is worthless because he promises this, or he says, you know, you, you can't have shellfish and, and all these other things. You know, they're always doing that. And so it's a good thing for us to bring out. People don't just go after you in these obvious ways. They'll use Scripture uh, and, and twist it and turn it in order to make themselves sound either pious or to excuse their own sinful behavior, which is exactly both of which are what, what Ahaz is doing here. Yeah, and, and, and so it's no wonder then that Ahaz earns the rebuke that he receives here in Isaiah chapter 7, because he is, he's functioning as this mouthpiece for, for the devil, bringing this to, he is doing the testing of God. And we're going to pick up that response that Ahaz gets on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, December 21st. We're studying Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. We've got Pastor Stephen Preuss with us. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Benton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were looking at the Lord's grace in speaking a second time to Ahaz, offering him the opportunity to ask for any sign continuing to identify as Ahaz as God, but Ahaz has already made up his mind. He has already put the Lord to the test. He begins to speak with words of Satan as he twists the scriptures against what the word of the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah. And so he earns a very stinging rebuke 
in verse 13, Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? This is the second time Isaiah has, has come, and now it's like Isaiah's had enough. The Lord has had enough. And oh man, I mean, and I'll let you point out everything that's here, but right away with what you've been saying so far, here Isaiah says that you weary my God also. It's not your God anymore, Ahaz. You, you've forsaken him. Yeah, Ahaz won't say it, but Isaiah will. And it's, it's, a, it's really quite the rebuke. So he's speaking, yeah, to the house of David, and uh, the whole house of David, but especially Ahaz, has tried the patience of my God. So he's proclaiming to Ahaz and all of Judah that he has not only disobeyed the prophet, who's man, uh, but also my God, whom Ahaz will not acknowledge in true faith. So the fact that the Lord has been so patient, right, and the way we count patience is nothing like the way God counts patience, and the, the Lord toward toward Ahaz has just, uh, just see even just the beginning of this text, that, that again he comes to him after all of the things that Ahaz has done, to the point of sacrificing his own son and desecrating the temple and, and everything else. I mean, it's just a, an awful thing that he has done. Uh, but what, what Isaiah is bringing out here is he comes out with another offer, and it's, it's treated with this pious hypocrisy, and so finally comes the rebuke. You know, God's patience does finally wear thin, and it, it's tried to the point of, of breaking. And here's where it breaks, and he says, okay, fine, Ahaz, if this is the way you're going to be, then this is the way I'm going to uh, receive it. You have rejected not only the prophet, but you have rejected the Lord. And this should be a, a very strong warning for us that Jesus teaches that he who receives you receives me. He who hears you hears me. And the Lord here is speaking through the mouth of Isaiah. And as he speaks through his mouth, uh, he Isaiah does not need to feel as if Ahaz and, and all of Judah, the house of David, are rejecting him personally. By rejecting the prophet, they are rejecting the Lord himself. And, you know, we as pastors, uh, that's something for us to consider, and also every Christian, to consider that when you speak the word of the Lord and you're rejected, uh, sometimes we take this personally as if they're rejecting us. Well, yes, they are rejecting us, but not us at, alone. They're rejecting the one through whom these words have come that we speak, right? This is them rejecting the Lord's words. Uh, we're just the mouthpiece. We're just the vessel that's carrying it. And and so that's what's going on with Ahaz and Isaiah. Yeah, he, he makes sure he understands you've gone after my God. You might not believe in him, Ahaz, but I do. And so the Lord then does promise a sign. And we get to verse 14, and this is the verse that we know. It's the verse that shows up in in our Christmas programs that our children recite the words, and, and it shows up around this time. Again, this is the text for Christmas Eve, the sign of Emmanuel. But again, we're, we're trying to put it into this context here in Isaiah 7. So Ahaz says, I don't want a sign. I'm not going to ask in that pious sounding unbelief. But the Lord says, I'm going to give you a sign anyways, Isaiah. Take us into this this verse, Pastor Preuss, put it in, in its context and, and help us understand it. 
Yeah, you kind of put it in the context well there. I mean, I'm going to give you a sign anyways. Usually when we hear this Isaiah 7:14, I mean, every one of us has in one way or another either memorized this passage or heard it so many times it's incredibly familiar. And so what a context that this is actually spoken against Ahaz. And there's something here about how when the gospel is spoken, there are those who believe it, and it's of great comfort, right? And that's, that's how we know this Bible passage. But to those who reject it, most particularly in, in this immediate context of Ahaz, this is actually quite the, the rebuke. And it, that's the original context in which this, this verse falls. So let's kind of think about that. He had an opportunity, Ahaz did, but he rejected this opportunity to believe in the Lord and to trust in him uh, through the northern kingdom uh, uh, and uh, Syria actually threatening him and, and Judah. And so because he's rejected everything that the Lord has offered him at this point, the Lord says, fine, I'm going to give a sign through Isaiah right, through a vision that Isaiah has that relates to your rejection and seals your doomed disbelief. And Ahaz's rejection of the Lord goes to the heart, really, of the covenant to his people, that he is the one who will be their deliverer and no one else. Ahaz did not need to fear Syria and Ephraim, that is Israel, because the Lord had promised that this Messiah that that, uh, Ahaz should have believed in would come through David's line. But Ahaz, again, didn't believe it. He did not believe God would be faithful to his promise. For example, the Lord had promised, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, 1 Kings chapter 8. And because Ahaz doesn't believe it, here's the sign. The sign is, first of all, to you. So it's not only for Ahaz, but for the entire nation, It's meant to to be a response to Ahaz, but then it extends to being for all the people and ultimately for all people, uh, as we know. And the the first thing that he mentioned or he says is behold, and that's an important word, because that word behold signals an important announcement. Uh, This announcement is going to demonstrate fully that the Lord will indeed protect and save Judah, but just not the way that that Ahaz would like, right? Not exactly the way that he, he wants it. And so he says that a virgin, I think the Hebrews, the virgin, but a virgin seems to make sense here, uh, shall conceive. So he sees this vision of uh, a virgin. And uh, this word that is used for virgin is, it's never used of a married woman. That's just one thing to know about the term Alma. Uh, Luther offered a hundred gulden to anyone who could show that it was uh, used for a merry woman, and, and one commentator says no one's collected yet. And so that's really the big point here, that it, it doesn't speak of a married woman. This is the same term used in Genesis 24, 43, uh, to refer to Rebecca, uh, whom no man had known. Um, any other word that you could have used that would have referred to maybe a, a virgin, uh, it, it would have either been ridiculous, like a, a girl far too young, um, or it would have given the option that this woman could have been married. Well, that wouldn't work either. So Isaiah's word is very deliberate. He chooses this uh, lesser chosen word, um, but it's a perfectly chosen word. Um, the, some people will say, well, it, it could be used of uh, some illegitimate uh, child being born, but what kind of a sign would that be? It wouldn't be an actual sign for any good. 
uh, and it certainly doesn't fit the rest of the biblical witness. So God is using a good woman for this sign, and so we should see this word meaning a virgin. And so a virgin is going to uh, conceive. My my goodness, how is this going to happen? Um, and we know how that happens uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because we know who this, this child is. But going on, it says, we'll bring forth a son. And so the virgin is with child, and and he sees that this is this is going to happen, that there's going to be a, a, a birth of a son, um, which is the sign that Ahaz should not fear the northern kingdoms. Uh, he should not be fearing any enemy, because he uh, should be looking at the promise, the covenant, but he has not been looking at it. And so this is going to be the sign. It's going to be the birth of a son from the virgin. And then you have the, the naming of the child, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, and you notice that the mother gives the name, usually it's, it's the father, uh, but the mother gives the name here, and Emmanuel, we know that means, according to Matthew one twenty three, as we've, we've all learned that too, but Emmanuel simply means God uh, with us. So God is with us, and, and that's something that Scripture talks about in, in many places throughout the Old Testament. Uh, and also in the New Testament, but Psalm 46 is certainly one place where we hear this uh, presented very well uh, in reference to the Lord. The Lord of hosts is with us. But here it's in, in reference not to to the Lord, but the, the Hebrew word for God, um, that he is present in in the Son. So God is, is with us in this Son born of the Virgin. Uh, and, of course, we know that this is the prophecy then of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Virgin, and the Son of God, and why this is chosen for Advent 4 in, in the three-year lectionary and in the historic lectionary, uh, and for just for Christmas Eve, uh, is chosen for uh, a text as well. Um, now, this sign would surely confirm that the Messianic line would continue, and that Judah would be saved, uh, and so that Ahaz should not be rebellious and unbelieving. And so that's kind of a, an immediate context of that. But obviously, the reason this text is chosen, the reason we're going through it, is because of this beautiful promise that the Virgin will conceive and bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us, and, and that this refers to uh, the Virgin Mary bringing forth our Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God. So I, I really appreciate the way you just broke that down for us because I think it's very helpful when you when you're reading here in Isaiah 7 and again you know we've been talking all this historical context what's going on with these two northern kingdoms who want to attack Judah and how Ahaz has looked to Assyria and then sort of out of the blue it seems now Isaiah is talking about Christmas and here's the birth of Jesus <laughs> randomly. And yet I, I think you've really laid it out for us very well that what does the birth of Jesus have to do with all of this? It goes to that matter of, of where Ahaz's trust should be. It should be in the promises that the Lord has made and not just the very specific ones that he's given in the previous text, but ultimately in the promise of the seed that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three and even the promise that has been attached to his own line, this house of David. And the reason that Ahaz can know that these northern kingdoms don't stand any threat is because the Lord has promised that the Savior is going to come through the line of David. And, and if Ahaz had been paying attention throughout the whole Old Testament leading up to where he stands, he would have seen over and over again how the Lord has protected that line. 
And so, I mean, that's why this promise, again, because that's what the Old Testament's all about. It's about this promised seed and how the Lord brings it to fulfillment. And so, you know, you're, you're reading along here and you think, well, goodness, we're, we're 700 years before the birth of Christ. Why does Isaiah jump forward that far all of a sudden? That's why. Because the birth of the Messiah has everything to do with the Lord keeping his promise to Ahaz and to Judah and to the line of David. And again, ultimately going all the way back to Genesis 3 and the promise of the seed. That's right. And and what we get here then, again, is this twofold response for us on Christmas, you know, and, and maybe we can draw this out as we do proclaim this message, that there are, there are different reactions to hearing this. And there are different reasons, actually, why God gave it. One reason was to show Ahaz that what he believed and what he was doing was futile. And the other reason, of course, being that we and all of the people who have ever read this prophecy, who have believed it, would uh, take from it abundant comfort and encouragement that God is faithful to his promises, even when it seems as if everything is going poorly and going the wrong way and that we are hemmed in on every side. He is faithful to his promise. And where else should the prophet Isaiah go? Where else should the Lord move the prophet to speak? And what should what else word could he speak that could be clearer that that he will not be forsaken and that and that God will fulfill this promise, he'll never go back on it, than to point to the birth of the Messiah, the, the birth of the Son of God from the Virgin Mary to be Emmanuel, God with us, our brother in the flesh, who has come to save not only Judah, but in his days Judah will be saved, as, as Jeremiah says, uh, but that he has come to save the whole world. It is amazing to see how throughout the Old Testament you get these glorious promises concerning Christ in times of great unfaithfulness. And and of all the examples we've looked at during this series of Advent with the Prophets, I think this one stands out among the greatest because Ahaz is just standing there in complete unbelief as to what the Lord has said. And yet the Lord gives this promise in the midst of that, which, as you said, comforts those who, who receive it. Uh, in faith. And and surely, even though Ahaz is evil and wicked and, and unbelieving, there are those in Judah, like Isaiah, who trust the Lord's word and who receive this promise with the comfort that he intends. And I, I think, you know, you mentioned Hezekiah earlier. Hezekiah is probably a good example of someone who comes along and, and listens to a word like this later from Isaiah and believes it. Because Hezekiah later in this book will actually stand in the same place that Ahaz stood by the, oh, where did it go? By the by the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Later, later Hezekiah is going to stand in the same place, as you said, in a very similar situation. And he's actually going to believe. He's going to trust that the Lord's going to keep his promise. And so, you know, like you said, the, the dual effect here of that promise, for Ahaz, it's going to condemn him and seal him in that unbelief. But for those who believe, it's going to bring great comfort. And, and as the prophet said up in verse 9, those who are firm in the faith, they will be firm. And that's what happens for Hezekiah later in this very book. No, that's exactly right. And it's it's just demonstrative of how, again, the Lord's word is, is treated by, by different people. 
and thank God for Hezekiah who comes along and, and gives us the other version of how to respond to these, these promises. Uh, because this sign, it is a sign against Ahath, but it is a sign for Hezekiah and for all those who do believe. So the, the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, speaks to Ahaz what the sign will be, that, that there is the Messiah who is coming and he is the promised hope for the people of Judah. That's where Ahaz should have placed his trust. That's where all the people of Judah should be placing their trust at this moment. So Isaiah is looking forward 700 years here, and yet he's going to make use of that promise that will come in 700 years to apply it to Ahaz himself, which is where the, the text continues in verses 15 and following, this matter of he eating curds and honey and, and refusing the evil and choosing the good. This is where you know, I think a lot of times we stop at verse 14. We get verses 15 and following, at least in, in one of the Advent texts. So help us out. What What is Ahaz doing as he continues in verses 15 and following? Yeah, Isaiah is changing. He's going back to the present. He, he wants to talk to Ahaz now about the threat from Syria and Ephraim, or Israel. And he, what he's saying is it's going to be shorter than the period of, of Emmanuel's infancy to maturation, right? So he's going he's gonna to grow uh, older a little bit, and, but it's going to be a, a, a short period. That's kind of what he's getting at with this whole talk about rejecting evil, choosing good. So... In essence, it's the short-lived threat against Ahaz and Judah is being symbolized by Emmanuel eating curds and honey and then him rejecting evil and choosing good, which, by the way, is unlike uh, Adam and Eve, right, who, who choose evil and reject the good. Um, and that's not how Emmanuel will be. Emmanuel will be the one who looks at the evil and and despises it and, and, and fears the Lord in that sense and wants to, to do that, which is good. But anyway, the point here is that the short, short length of time that it takes Emmanuel to reach such maturity, and actually even beforehand, before this happened, it symbolizes how short a time it will be until the Lord will, through Assyria, destroy Syria and Ephraim. Uh, they will be, as the Lord had already said, as we started, two smoldering stumps of firebrands. So... Uh, Isaiah is is bringing out this point that it'll be a short-lived period that that Syria and Ephraim, although right now it feels to Ahaz like this is just the end of the world as he knows it, it's not. Um, he calls them two smoldering stumps of firebrands, but then he also calls them here the land whose two kings you dread. So he's bringing out how Ahaz is so afraid and, and so fearing, like the, those trees shaking in the wind. Uh, so Ahaz, in other words, should not be rebellious and unbelieving. He should not fear them because uh, the Lord will deal with them. And they will soon be, as it, as it ends there in verse 16, they will soon be deserted. So uh, what what has happened with Ahaz is really quite pathetic, because not only does he lose out on the Lord, um, but the Lord ends up proving himself true anyway, but not to the eternal benefit of, of Ahaz himself. So uh, it's, it's yet another way in which Ahaz is shown to be wrong 
uh, and a rebuke of, of what he is, he's done, which kind of leads you into that last verse a little bit. Right. So the Lord is going to keep his promise. The one that he made in those opening verses of the chapter that we read, that the Lord said, you know, within 65 years, they're going to be just these smoldering stumps. That is going to happen in such a short time as compared to the, the growth of a child. And, and that was intended to be good news for Ahaz. And had he received it in faith, had he believed what the Lord had spoken, had he asked for the sign that the Lord had commanded him to ask for, the Ahaz would have received it all in faith, and it, it would have come to him as good news. But Ahaz has already made up his mind to ask for something else. And rather than asking from the Lord for a sign, rather than trusting in the Lord's promise, Ahaz has asked for help outside. And, well, that doesn't turn out so well. And I think that's where verse 17 comes in. Yeah, it's kind of be careful what you ask for. You might get it. And Ahaz refused to trust in the Lord and ask for a sign. He wanted Assyria to come and help. Well, that's what this verse tells us. Assyria will come. Uh, But it will be to bring the worst days for Judah since the kingdoms were, Israel is divided into two kingdoms. So it's going to be bad. And the verse ends dramatically if you look at, you know, how, how it ends, it says, with the king of Assyria. So this pericope teaches us that there are two great men who are coming for greatly different reasons. One is Emmanuel, who's rejected by Ahaz, who will bring salvation and is the Lord himself, God himself, who's promising Ahaz uh, that he will take care of him. And the other one who's coming is the king of Assyria, who is the one that Ahaz actually desires to come, but he's going to bring destruction to Ahaz uh, and to Judah. So Ahaz's rebellion is is quite a sad thing, and it, this is kind of how the text ends here, is be careful what you ask for. You really want the Assyrians uh, to come, well, they're going to come, but according to the way that the Lord's going to use them, not the way that you're going to want them to be used. So the Lord of his own uh, desire destroys uh, the northern kingdoms who are going against uh, Ahaz and Judah, but he then also uses Assyria uh, to take to take care of, of Judah as well. And so uh, th- there's something really bad here to end on um, if you just ended with that. And so let's remember that uh, while this is all true, the Lord's promised sign remains, uh, and it remains throughout all of what happens to Judah, all the way through, you know, the the captivity, and all the way until Jesus Jesus actually is born, that that son of the Virgin Emmanuel, God with us. So that sign remains, even even though you have such a depressing story with Ahaz, the one who rebels against the Lord to his own his own harm and the harm of the whole nation. Yeah, I mean, Ahaz certainly stands as a warning to all who would hear the promises of the Lord and to reject them in unbelief and ask for something else, because when they get what they ask for, it doesn't turn out the way that they think it would. And yet, as you said, the sign remains. And I mean, I keep going back to Hezekiah with that, because as you said, you know, Assyria comes and does what Ahaz wanted, yes, but then that destruction turns on Ahaz and Judah as well. And Assyria is the threat that Hezekiah faces, but he faces it with faith in the Lord's promise of Emmanuel. And and I think you can trace that throughout the rest of the Old Testament, that, that every time the people of the Lord face these foreign threats or they face the idolatry that's rampant in their own land, whatever ways evil is attacking them, 
that they only can face it rightly with this faith in this promise that the Lord gives here, the faith that the child is coming, the virgin will conceive, she will give birth to a son, and that son will be God with us. And because of that promise, they know they have hope in the face of all of these threats, whatever else they may be. If they place their trust anywhere else, they're going to get what they ask for, and it's going to be bad. But when they place their trust in Emmanuel, in the one who is God with us, in Jesus Christ, then none of these threats ever mean ultimate harm for them because they have the one who is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor Price, we've got oh, about two minutes here to, to wrap things up. Help us, help us again see that good news in this Christmas Eve text. Sure. The good news in this Christmas Eve text is to... To, to look away from this this uh, King Ahaz and how this word was spoken against him, and to see that it was spoken for us. The reason that Ahaz rejected it is because Ahaz was evil, and he didn't want it. But the Lord does want this sign to stand, and he wants it to stand for you. He wants you to have a Merry Christmas. He actually wants you to believe that that his son uh, is also the Virgin's son, Mary's son, that God himself has joined our human race. He has done so in order to die for us, to save us from our sins, just as the name Jesus means. And the name Emmanuel that he is God with us is something that we certainly celebrate at the incarnation of our Lord, but he remains a man. He not only lived a life on our behalf and died in the flesh, but he rose in the flesh and he ascended in the flesh and he promised us when he sent out his disciples, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is the promise of the Lord. He is still Emmanuel, and he is God with us, and he will get us through the, the difficult times that we are in right now. Uh, and, and this means that we can, we can spurn the, the lack of faith and, and the discouragement and the rebelliousness of Ahaz, and we can look instead at, at the likes of those of like Hezekiah and, and the many faithful who have come before us and look at this promise with a, a renewed sense of hope. This sign is for you, and it is a sign of great joy for you that this child is uh, the son of the Virgin, coming from not Joseph or any other man, but from God the Father, who is showing you in this son of his and this son of Mary uh, his, his love for you uh, and sending him to be your Savior. Pastor Stephen Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us this morning with Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 17. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. The Virgin has conceived. She has given birth to Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, God in our flesh, the sign of God's great love for you and for me, for sinners, for he has died and risen to forgive us and give us eternal life. Trust in him. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.